I am he. I invite you to turn in a Bible uh, or point and click to a Bible to Luke chapter 8. And uh, that little girl and uh, later the young lady in that scene, her name is Mary, uh, also known in the scriptures as Mary Magdalene, as in Mary from Magdala, as in uh, Jesus and Nazarene, Jesus from Nazareth. It identifies her uh, in contrast to keeping her straight, you could say, with the other Marys in Scripture, like Mary, the mother of Jesus, or Mary, the sister and uh, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. And uh, what we're doing here is we're in a series entitled Meet Jesus, where uh, we are looking through the eyes of those who 
first met Jesus in person nearly 2,000 years ago as identified in the scriptures, but that as you could say is uniquely dramatized by this unique TV miniseries called The Chosen, uh, which has, you could say, the aim of staying true to the, the biblical and the historical context, but uh, with that, kind of bringing to life, otherwise sometimes we can feel like black and white words on a page, with backstories to those who first met Jesus originally. And so the backstory that is added by the writers of The Chosen uh, in this particular scene is a scene uh, that they have placed uh, what could have been for maybe Mary's childhood. This idea that for her, in the face of fear, her father, her dad, reminds her of the fact, of the truth of God's word. Uh, as uh, they proclaim together, Isaiah 43.1, thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. And while you could say it's uncertain whether or not you know, Mary's uh, dad would have actually read those words over her as a child, uh, it is a passage that the, that the Jewish people would have been extremely familiar with, and likely Mary included. And so as we think about Mary and get to know her through the eyes of how she met Jesus. I want to invite you to follow with me to read a little bit about what we know about the story of Mary Magdalene meeting Jesus in Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 1. It says it this way, that after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. It says that the 12 were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary called Magdalene, uh, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Have you ever been part of a, a conversation where uh, someone is telling a story and they're just kind of rolling along when, like, out of nowhere, they drop this, like, off-the-wall detail, like just kind of completely out there, and they just kind of slide it in there like it's perfectly normal, like uh, nothing, nothing unusual, uh, nothing to see here, kind of move along. Well, that's kind of what I feel like when I read this particular passage uh, of the account of Jesus and these folks around him. See, I mean, it feels just kind of like a travel report. You've got Jesus and his disciples are traveling from town to town, village to village, and then following and supporting the ministry uh, are also some of these women named Susanna. You've got Joanna, the wife of Cusa, and then, oh yeah, there's Mary Magdalene, who, by the way, had seven demons cast out of her. And then there's just like, wait, wait whoa, whoa. What? T time out. Like, like, back the story up. Like, recognize, like, this is a huge reality that we probably just read over again, kind of in these black and white words on text and miss the fact. Like, could you imagine, like, how incredibly tragic it would be to be possessed by one demon, let alone seven demons, literally would have been hell on earth. And as we look at the case for Mary, she would have been a time that when she met Jesus originally, things would have been incredibly desperate for her. And if that word desperate, if that in any way, as you think about maybe circumstances or situations from your past or maybe your present or even if you would say maybe your whole life, like if that's the word that comes to mind or maybe even a word that you've used to describe for yourself, then you really should get acquainted with Mary Magdalene. You see, 
the number seven, seven demons, we uh, see throughout the scriptures that that number has a, a meaning beyond just a, a number identifier. That throughout the scriptures, we see that, that seven is often, you, you could say like a, a, a number that represents completion or fullness. And while we're not sure if this was the case for Mary, uh, as far as the symbolism, we could say that for Mary with seven demons, she was completely possessed. She was full of demons. And if you think about Mary's life, if that wasn't difficult enough, you could say uh, history has not been too kind to her either. As you could say, there's a number of, I guess you could call them church rumors that have kind of stayed with Mary throughout the years. Uh, some of them maybe you have heard of. The first rumor is that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. Uh, and what this comes from is actually, you could say, a misreading of Luke chapter 7, the chapter that precedes what we just read in Luke chapter 8, uh, where there's an unnamed woman with a reputation for being promiscuous, and she weeps at Jesus' feet, she wipes the tears away with her hair, and then anoints his feet with perfume. And so it's a dramatic scene where some have drawn a suggestion that this unnamed woman uh, could have or would have been Mary Magdalene. But there's actually nothing in the Bible to confirm that this unnamed woman in Luke 7 is the Mary Magdalene that we meet in Luke chapter 8. In fact, that actually started about 1,500 years ago in a sermon by a guy by the name of Pope Gregory where he made the connection that this woman from Luke 7 is Mary Magdalene in Luke 8, and it's kind of something that's stuck ever since. Uh, the second rumor uh, it, I guess you could say it's not as front and center now as it was maybe, I don't know, maybe a little more than 10 years ago. Some of you may have been familiar with it. It came out of uh, this book and then movie uh, known as The Da Vinci Code by Dan Brown. And it uh, stirred up a lot of controversy as it really stirred this combination of what has already been identified as ancient heresy and kind of sprinkling there some wild imagination, uh, again, all of which had been debunked at that point. But uh, what it sparked was this idea that Mary Magdalene was perhaps the girlfriend or, or even the wife of Jesus. And it's important to know that if you're kind of familiar with any of that, that it uh, is important to recognize that uh, there is zero reliable evidence that in any way suggests that Mary was anything more than a friend or a follower of Jesus. In fact, Harvard uh, history professor Karen King, uh, she says that, quote, the suggestion that Jesus and Mary were husband and wife uh, is, in her words, ridiculous. But there are things we do know that yes, she was, it was accurate that she was, for unknown reasons, fully and completely possessed by seven demons. And so together, regardless of these other stories, we recognize that her reality was pretty desperate and she would have been desperate to escape this horrific evil that had literally taken over her life. And, and what I love about what Jesus does for her uh, again, I guess you could say regardless of whether her dad actually read those words of Isaiah 43, one over her, is the truth, the reality. What actually happened is that Jesus lived out that truth in her life, that she would have personally experienced the reality of these words from Jesus interpersonally, that the promise that the Lord Jesus before her, who created her, who formed her, would be able to proclaim to her, and spoiler alert for us to hear, same words for us, fear not. For the Lord says, I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. 
And so as we follow Mary's life, what we experience beyond just this initial healing are, you could say, two powerful ways, kind of through lines in her life, in which the power of Jesus did these various things, removed fear from her life, redeemed her, and called her by name. That is certainly true for us as well. And so the first way that we see, again, beyond the healing that Jesus' power was made known in her life was the power in which way that Jesus, you could say, paved the way for her to overcome what we could say was her position and perception. That Jesus, in what she, excuse me, what he did for Mary, helped her to overcome her uh, position in society and the perception that others would have had for her. You see, as a woman in the first century, uh, her position in society would have been sadly non-existent, that she would have held no social standing. Uh, And it's interesting, while some would actually describe the Bible as perpetuating or promoting an archaic or oppressive view of women, uh, this conclusion actually misses the full historical context of what is revealed in the scriptures through God's original design for men and women in the beginning. You see, we talk a lot uh, sometimes in church about sin and original sin, uh, but often at the missing of God's original goodness, that before uh, the curse of sin entered the human experience, that there was original goodness, perfect creation. And at that time, in Genesis chapter one, first book of the Bible, first chapter of the Bible, it says it this way, that God created mankind in his own image. We're created in the image of God. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. In perfection in Genesis chapter one. But sadly, we don't get too far. Uh, Genesis chapter three, a couple chapters later, uh, we see that the, the tables turn, that Adam and Eve, male and female, they rebel and they sin against God. They go their own way and they bring about a curse upon all creation, including uh, the brokenness in identity as well as the relationship between men and women. And interestingly, what we see progressing, you could say, throughout the scriptures, and actually most significantly in the person of Jesus, is actually this elevation of and the value of women in a time and a place where this just was not the case. And so really, despite the arguments to the contrary, so much of our modern understanding and mentality around the dignity and the value of women in this otherwise broken and fallen world actually comes from directly, that you could say that the revolutionary ways that we see in Jesus relative to the times regarded and included women. As identified later in the New Testament, uh, in the book of Galatians, we are reminded, it says that in Christ... Uh, in Christ Jesus, you are all, we are all children of God through our faith in him. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ, that your identity is in Jesus Christ alone. Therefore, there is no Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so as we consider, of course, contextually where Mary would have been, maybe as we kind of take that into uh, our our modern day, maybe you're in a place where you feel relative to whatever social societal reality that you're in, that the, the pecking order has you feeling less than. Maybe it is literally in society or in the space where you live or work or play, maybe where you work or maybe kids at school or maybe even within your own family has you kind of experiencing a position of less than what God has for you. 
Well, I would encourage you to dig into this reality, this truth that your identity, your value is not and never will be found in a, a group of people or any other person other than Jesus Christ. And for me, I remember um, this, this experience. Like, uh, if you've been around, I've said this a bunch of times. Like, I didn't grow up doing the whole church and God thing, and I came to faith as a high school student. But it was this reality that most solidified my understanding, uh, I guess you could say through the awkwardness of adolescence, of what it meant to have uh, a life identified in Christ. Uh, that when, you know, I mean, you've been there. Those of you who, you know, obviously went through adolescence, you're here, uh, so you did that successfully to some degree. Uh, or maybe there's some kids in the room that's kind of like, that's right where you're at. I mean, uh, you, it's a season of life where it's kind of super strange that we are tempted to live our lives for an audience of our peers, uh, you know, trying to like impress them and half the time they're people we don't even like, but it's just something that we feel trapped in doing. Um, and, but I'm super encouraged that uh, you can know that kids, like as adults, like, we completely mature and grow up and grow out of caring at all what other people think of us. Um, <laughs> sarcasm is the, uh, the language I'm speaking there. Yeah, it, it doesn't go away. And so whether adolescent or adult, there's this freedom, this liberation in realizing, like, you don't live your life for an audience of the many, that you get to live your life in the freedom and the liberation that you only have to live your life for an audience of one, that Jesus Christ is your identity. And it's this horizontal reality that cuts through the vertical realities that we face every day. I mean, this is the truth of scripture. It's what it says in uh, the Apostle Paul speaking to this in uh, his letter to the Galatian church. He says, he says am I trying now to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please people? He said, no, if I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And so as I think about Mary, and I think about the perceptions that uh, many would have had of her, I mean, it would have been pretty hard, even after this moment, to not probably feel tagged as, oh, the woman always who was possessed by seven demons. And I would assume that in her life, she was overlooked by most, if not all, people. And it, it's possible that there wasn't a single person other than the person of Jesus that desired to make her life better. And that's what we see. We see in Jesus, he's the one that noticed Mary. He's the one who delivered her from this oppression of these demons in her life. He's the one that gave her meaning and purpose, brought her into the circle of followers of him that brought meaning to her life and who cared that she would live in that life full of meaning. And so we see this power of Jesus that even beyond the healing, the power in which he then moves Mary forward in her life to overcome her position in society as well as the perceptions that others would have had of her. And from there, really, the second way that we see the power of Jesus uh, kind of work in her life beyond even just that initial healing is the way in which that moment perpetuates a new reality to help her overcome her past and redeem her story, that the power of Jesus overcomes her past, the one of demon possession, and then gives her, redeems her, uh, it literally means to, to buy back, to, to reclaim what is his, a new story based in a bigger story that he had for her. 
You see, in the ancient world, uh, those who would have been, you know, kind of identified as demon-possessed, they would have been pushed to the margins. And, and in many cases, they would have physically been pushed out of town. Uh, they would, just to survive, would have to seek shelter among caves and, and patches of forest. And so the price of their condition was not just the condition of itself, but beyond that, just complete loneliness, isolation, and banishment. And so I wonder, with a past like that, I wonder for Mary, like, if not just others' perception, but the perception she would have had of her own pastor, like, would she be tempted, I would assume, to always think of herself as the one, as the woman who is possessed by seven, seven demons? That, that even after the demons had long been cast out. And we can't know for certain, but I, I wonder if Jesus would have to remind her from time to time, no, 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 Mary. That's who you were. It's not who you are. I wonder if Jesus would have said something to the effect that is recorded later in the scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that the old Mary has gone and the new has come. And so as you meet Jesus through the eyes of Mary Magdalene, this day, I wonder for you how the spirit of God is moving in your heart, this foundational fact and truth that for you, your past that's who you were. But in Christ, that is not who you are. As was mentioned a little earlier in the service, we had the privilege this past week to host um, a number of ministers and Christian leaders from around the country uh, in a conference here at the church. And um, one of our, our speakers, uh, Pastor Rick Russo, uh, he had this line in one of his messages that has just been messing with me for the last few days, so I figured I'd share that and let it mess with you. Uh, caring is sharing, something like that. But he, but he said this, and it hit me relative to what we're talking about today. He, was, he said that in our lives, in your life, he says, you've got to stop hoping for a better past. You've got to stop hoping for a better past. See the Apostle Paul speaking about our past again. He says, and this is what some of you were. In other words, you don't have to stay wrapped around the axle of your past. You, do, you can't change it, so there's certainly no hope in trying to hope for a better one. But you can, and in the recognition of the power of Jesus in the present, because of what he has done to forgive the past, step into a new future right now in the present, regardless of your past, because that is who you were. But if you have placed your faith in Jesus, if you have aligned yourself, if your allegiance is to him as the leader and the Lord of your life, to him, then since then know that you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. And by what power? By the power of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of our God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. And so maybe for you, again, kind of these generic terms when we talk about, you know, that's who you were or your past. Like maybe for you, that's pretty specific. That it has you, if like if you're honest, like your past has you wrestling with realities that are affecting your present. You know, maybe for you, it was a past season where you did make choices that haunt you, or we might even say kind of possess the present that you now have. 
And maybe for you it was choices that led to some unhealthy situations or some circumstances, maybe even addictions that you would actually even refer to as kind of your demons. Or maybe it has nothing to do with what you did, but it was an evil, something that was done to you that has hurt you, that involved you, that has left a scar and a pain, that you need the realities, the promises of Isaiah 43.1, the, the deliverance from those memories and those implications that they're having on your present. As it says in Isaiah 43.1, you need to experience the promise of God to fear not, and not just because God says so, but because God has redeemed you because he calls you personally by name because you are his. You see, it's this reality beyond the healing, the power of Jesus that played out in Mary's life that leaves us here now 2,000 years later uh, referring to her not as some of these rumors, but the reality that Mary Magdalene, that she is remembered, what she has done is identified in all four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the power of Jesus in her story. You know, it was Mary Magdalene who was there at the cross with Jesus when, ironically, all her male counterparts had fled And it's no surprise, given that Mary was always there, that all her faith, her foundation was in this Jesus that redeemed her, that knew her by name, that called her into a whole new way of life. It's no surprise that it was Mary that got to be the very first one at the tomb on that very first Easter morning when Jesus rose from the dead. You see, Mary was always there. That in spite of her position or perceptions or her past story, she built her future life on the foundation of following Jesus. And so for you, whether it's others' perceptions, your position and wherever it is that you find yourself in, maybe your past seems to be completely possessing your present, learn from Mary Magdalene that like Mary, from this day forward, you can build your future, your foundation, on following Jesus and become more and more and more and more of who it is that he designed you to be in him. Each week, um, we have been, uh, as we look through the eyes of those in scripture who first met Jesus, we've been viewing scenes from, uh, again, the series, The Chosen. And um, what you're gonna see here in just the scene that we're gonna view here in just a few moments uh, is that Mary Magdalene, um, she's referred to as Lilith. And so anytime you hear or see uh, the reference to Lil or Lilith, uh, it's, it comes from this reflection of some historical folklore around the idea that the, the name Lilith means demon. So it's kind of a point to her past as we see what Jesus wants to do in her future. And so I wanna invite you to experience uh, with me in this scene from The Chosen, because you are gonna love what Jesus does for her. How long has she been like this? Like what? I'm trying to help her, Rivka. All you're gonna do is mess this place up. Then what? You're gonna stop by and help clean The demons that torment her soul will turn your place to dust. Even if you care nothing for her soul, at least- Lilith never hurt anyone that didn't hurt her first. Mostly. She has these spells. We let her be and then she's as sweet as an angel again. Curse it all, Lil!
You can put an end to this. So, did it work? I'm sorry, Lilith. Lilith? What? We should talk, huh? Leave me alone. Oh, what, huh? It's going to scratch me, too. Come on, not now. So, see. Not now. She smells anyway. I don't know what else I can do to help you. Give me that. Lots of it. That's not going to solve your problems. It's meant to distract from no them. No more preaching. Just give it to me. Lilith, please listen to what I'm
Thus says the Lord who created you. And he who formed you. Fear not. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Part of the story 
see Mary's story it is our story it's your story it's my story that's the message of Jesus in the opening lyric to that song that you can come out of hiding that you're safe here with me he says that there's no need to cover what I already see and so may the part of your story that you find yourself in today, whatever that means, find its way into God's bigger story. It's right there waiting for you. Uh, it's like you're almost there for some of you. In fact, we've been celebrating over the last several weeks and we're going to in this service in the weeks ahead, uh, baptisms. Those of you who have uh, come all the way home to what God has for you in celebrating the reality of what Jesus did, uh, on a Friday, dying, and then on a Sunday, raising to new life, that you, as it says in Romans 6, 4, participate in the death of saying, I'm gonna have to figure this out on my own any longer and come running home to the life that he has for you, both in this life and in the next. And so as those lyrics suggested, that as you run, the question really is, which direction? That as you look at the sin, the situation, the circumstance, the struggle, the decision before you, are you running from God in that or are you gonna take that to him? Because every single one of us has to make that decision just like Mary, not just to hear the words of Jesus, but to actually turn, to face him, to receive what he has for us, to find our home in him, his will, and in his ways. And so with this in mind, I want to invite all of us to stand here in the West Auditorium, the East Auditorium. Uh, even if you're at home, uh, it, may, it might be a little strange to do, but I would invite you to stand in honor of the reality of what he has done for us. Uh, as the lyrics suggest, a song called Stand Amazed, that we would stand amazed in the presence 
of what Jesus has done, how marvelous, how wonderful is our Savior's love for you, for me, and for us. And so let's tell him about it in our own words as we sing to him together. Would you join us?